Genesis chapter 45 is our text this morning. We've been looking at the life of Joseph, a life of integrity. Joseph has shown his integrity in the times of trials. His family mistreating him, his brothers hating him, selling him into slavery. We have seen Joseph maintain his integrity when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And then last week we saw Joseph maintain his integrity during a time of testing, when his faith would be tested, when what he's waiting for and expecting does not come to pass. This morning I want you to see what I think may be one of the greatest challenges to Joseph's or our integrity, and that is integrity in a time of triumph, when things are going well. I was reminded this morning a little bit, number one, because of memory and also because of the little bit of coolness outside of the story that I remember reading as a child. It was one of Aesop's fables, and he tells about the sun and the north wind having an argument. Some of you may remember this story from your childhood. And they had an argument over who was the strongest. A traveler was passing by, and he had a traveler's cloak around him. And the sun said, let's have a competition. Let's have a contest to see who's the strongest. To see the strongest will be the one that can get that coat off of that traveler. And the son said, okay, he accepted the challenge. And the wind, the north wind began to blow just as strong as he could. And he blew and he blasted cold air at this traveler. But the more the wind blew, the more tightly the traveler held onto his coat and his cloak and wouldn't let go of it. And no matter how hard the wind blew, no matter how cold that north wind was, he couldn't get the coat, he couldn't get the cloak off of the traveler. And so then the sun took his turn, and the sun began to shine, and it began to be beautiful weather. The traveler began to warm up, and he wiped sweat off his brow, and before long, it began to warm up even more. Sure enough, he took his cloak off and laid it aside, and the sun won the competition. There are some who have fallen during times of adversity. Their integrity has been broken during times of difficulty when the winds blew and as Spurgeon said, the waves crashed them upon the rock of Christ. There are those who have been strengthened by those times of adversity. The harder things got, the more closely they clung to Christ. But when the sun came out and things went well, suddenly they drift into sin and their integrity is gone. I remember I could think of a number of examples that I've observed over the years of people who start out, <coughs> they trust Christ, and they don't have a lot, and they struggle, and their family has a hard time, and yet they, they're faithful to God. They're faithful in the house of God. They're faithful in witnessing. They're faithful in proclaiming the gospel. They're faithful in living the gospel. And the harder things seem to be, the stronger their faith seems to thrive. And then things begin to go well. And before long, the things of this world begin to call and begin to pull. And suddenly, some things are more important than being in church. And some things are more important <coughs> than, than following after God. And what Satan could not do through adversity, he does through success. There's a danger. We certainly see this in Joseph's life. Joseph has been through more ups and downs than we can imagine. It seems like every chapter, there's a, an up and then a down, and then an up and then a down. He starts out as the top. He's, he's his father's favorite, and he's having great dreams, and he's got a beautiful coat, and then he drops to the bottom, and he's sold into slavery. 
And then he rises to the top again, and he's the head over Potiphar's house, and he's doing well, and he's thriving, and then he's accused and thrown into prison. And then he's at the top of the prison. He's the, he's the head of over all the prisoners. And at the end of that, that section in his life, he's down at the bottom. And through all those drops, through all those difficult times, Joseph has maintained his integrity. He has done right when things were wrong. But the question for Joseph and the question for us is, will we stay right when everything seems to be going right? And things are going well. You see, if you look at this account, and we could go through this morning and just to quickly walk us through, we see where Joseph could have gone wrong. Joseph, as he's in prison at the beginning of chapter 41, Joseph has been forgotten by the butler. The butler said, when I get back to Potiphar's palace, I'll remember and I'll mention you to him, but he forgot. I believe divinely, divine impulse caused him to forget because it was not the timing for Joseph. Pharaoh has dreams, just like the butler and the baker had in prison. And Pharaoh has these dreams, and he has these weird dreams with these skinny cows and these fat cows and these these weird ears of corn, and he doesn't understand it. No one can interpret his dream. And so the butler says, you know, I'm I'm remembering the things that I had forgotten today. When I was in prison, remember that time you were mad at me? That was a little bit... A little bit dangerous bringing up that moment. You remember that time I ticked you off? I don't want to bring that painful memory, but I forgot something. There was a young man, a young Hebrew in the prison, and he interpreted our dreams, and what he interpreted came to pass. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph comes, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He says, Pharaoh, what these dreams mean is that there's going to be seven years of plenty like the land has never had. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And what you should do is you should take all the wealth from that, the the harvest from that seven years, and you should save it, and then you'll have it for the seven years of famine. It's a very interesting thing that historians and archaeologists say that during this time period in that region, there was great famine and drought that lasted for years, and other empires fell because of it. And yet, Egypt somehow miraculously survives. I'll tell you how they survived. They survived because of the wisdom of Joseph. And Joseph takes that seven years and he stores up all, that, all those crops. And then when the time when the, when the famine comes, he has food to sell back to the people. And he sells the grain to the people. And he sells it to other nations that come in. Joseph, or Pharaoh, says, hey, who can we find to put over this this great plan, but Joseph, who can we find that has the Spirit of God in him like Joseph has? And so he paints Joseph head over the nation. Once again, Joseph has risen to the top. And in this, he he takes a wife and he has sons, and he says, God has caused me to, to forget my past. It doesn't mean that he's not capable of thinking of it, but it means that he's put it behind him. There are many people that one of the greatest struggles they have in maintaining their rightness and their integrity, their rightness with God, is that they cannot get past their past. They carry the baggage with them. They carry their wrongs. They carry how they have been wronged. They carry that with them, and Joseph is able to move. He says, God has done this for me. And then one day, Joseph looks up, and there's some men who have come to receive grain. There are 
shortly into this time of famine. And back in the land of Canaan, Jacob has said to his other sons, especially the ten eldest, who, as you remember, are not godly people. And if you've read the accounts, don't take the time now, but you can go back later and read. Right in the middle of all this, there's a whole chapter about Judah. And it tells us how wicked and vile Judah was. But it also gives us a little bit of a hint of insight into what God is doing in Joseph's brothers during these year, intervening years. And Jacob says, we've got to have food. And he says, well, we've heard we've got food in Egypt. So he sends the ten eldest, keeping Benjamin, the youngest, back, his favorite back. Joseph's gone. I'm not going to risk him being killed on a journey. You'll remember, brothers, that your brother Joseph was killed on such a journey. I wonder if the guilt that swept over them as they remembered that it wasn't, it wasn't an animal that had killed Joseph, and Joseph was still alive. So he sends the ten, and they go down to Egypt. And, of course, Joseph recognizes his brothers. He sees that they are dressed in, in shepherd's garb, and they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph has changed. Joseph is some years older. He spent some time in prison. Maybe he has a few tattoos across his arm. I don't know. But he looks like an Egyptian, and he dresses like an Egyptian, and he even walked like an Egyptian. <laughs> That's the things that go through my mind when I'm studying the Word of God. Y'all think I'm having all these great spiritual thoughts, and I'm up here thinking this is probably what Joseph was doing. But they don't recognize Joseph, and so Joseph tests his brothers. He wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin, he accuses them of being spies, and they tell him, no, we're, we're ten sons of one man, and we're from the land of Canaan, and we had one brother that got killed. They feel the necessity to give all the details as they're telling the story, and, and we had one brother who was killed, and he said, no, you're spies. I tell you what, you bring back your younger brother. I'm going to let you have this food, but you bring back your younger brother if you come back. He goes through this entire, you can take the time later to read the chapters and read this story and see all that takes place. There's a lot of details that we'll move quickly over. <coughs> but, jo but Joseph is wanting to see what's in the heart of his brothers. And so the brothers come back. Finally, they get back. Jacob says, you're not taking Benjamin, not sending him, not going to lose him. It'll bring, my, it'll bring me down to the grave. And finally, they said, look, if we don't get some food, we're all going to go to the grave. And one of the brothers offers himself and one of his sons as the, as the surety for Benjamin. If I don't bring him back, you can take and kill one of my sons. I'm willing to sacrifice even myself and my posterity if you'll just let us go. He cares more about the needs of others than he does his own self. A vast change from where he had been. And so finally, Jacob sends them back. They take Benjamin with them. And after... Multiple things Joseph puts them through again. We come to chapter 45. In the beginning of chapter 45, Joseph finally reaches the point he is ready to reveal himself to his brothers. Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, calls every man <coughs> to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? I often wonder, did they even hear the second part of that? After hearing those words, I am Joseph, 
Can you imagine the trouble that would come on them, the, the sense of guilt, the sense of fear because they recognize what has taken place and what he knows about them and what he can do to them? Now, therefore, he says in verse, he says in verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, his brethren, verse 3, could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, but for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years into which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he has made me a <coughs> father to Pharaoh <coughs> and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. In Joseph's life, as he finally reaches this season of his life, when things are going well, there are many ways that Joseph could have gotten wrong. There are ways that Joseph could have abused the power that he had. He could have become corrupt as an absolute ruler. He's over all of Egypt, and there's no one to answer to but to Pharaoh, no one to call him into account. Joseph could have been corrupted by power. You know the old saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Joseph is one of the few examples that you will find in the Word of God or in history where such power did not corrupt him. It did not touch his integrity. Joseph could have been wrong. Joseph could have become ambitious as a prosperous leader. He could have taken advantage of the people. He could have taken advantage of Pharaoh. And yet, what did he do? He set up a system, not that enriched him, but that profited the profited Pharaoh as his ruler, as his king, but it also benefited the people. It kept the people from starving to death. He kept this nation afloat. He's the one that almost single-handedly saved the empire of Egypt in a time when great empires all around were falling because of this drought and this famine. Joseph, in this particular moment, could have become vindictive as a powerful judge standing there before his brothers, he has every right. We would justify it. The law would justify it. No one in Egypt could have stopped Joseph from executing every one of his brothers at this moment. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, if you watch a movie or a TV program or you read a book and there's somebody who's abused or misused or you see injustice, you want to see justice at the end. I mean, this is the place where, and if Hollywood was doing this, this is the place where Joseph would have pulled out two nine millimeters and shot down all of his brothers. But he doesn't do that. He shows them mercy. He shows them grace. He shows them love despite what they deserve. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound, that's you and I. We deserve justice. And yet... The true and better Joseph, Jesus Christ, shows us love and mercy and grace. Joseph doesn't do any of these things. He preserves the people. He's loyal to Pharaoh. He's just and merciful to his brothers. In our 
study of Joseph, we've seen Joseph stay right when everything and everyone around him was getting it wrong. But here we see Joseph not getting it wrong in a moment when everything was going right. (coughs) He avoids losing his integrity to success. How does he do that? Well, the Bible tells us that Joseph had faith. And Joseph was able to look at his life through the eyes of faith. This is what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see a couple of thoughts from this passage this morning. How does faith allow us to see our lives and the people and the events that take place in our lives, see it in such a way that we do not get wrong, we stay right? First of all, Joseph could see, faith allowed Joseph to see God's providence in his situation to see God's providence in his situation, to see that things are not happening randomly. This morning, whatever's taking place in your life, whatever has happened in your life, some of it may not be good things. Let's stop this idea that we interpret Romans 28, all things are good for them that love God. No, he says all things work together for good, but there are some things that are not good things. There are some people that are not good people. There are some people who do not have good motives. Joseph's brothers fall into this. And in fact, Joseph doesn't let them forget that. Do you see what he said in verse 4? He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. You did this. You sold me. You did something you had no right to do. You were wrong. What you did was wrong, and the reason that you did it was wrong. He's not backing off. But do you see what else he sees in this? Look at the next statement. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. He is showing them mercy. He wants them to not feel the weight of this. Why? Because God did send me. You sold me, but God sent me. God help us to look at the situations in our lives. And I don't know the situation that every one of you is going through in your life. I don't know the bad events. I don't know all the the bad situations. I don't know all the bad things that have been done or said to you or about you. But I am telling you that God is providentially working through the ill will and the wrong actions of others. God is at work using them for our good. God's providence in this situation. We could go back, and I've mentioned how it's God who providentially gives the memory to the butler. Joseph will say to Pharaoh in chapter 41, God is the one who has shown you this. Where did Pharaoh get this dream from? He didn't get it from eating too much pizza the night before, whatever kind of pizza they had in Egypt in those days. He didn't get it from some other means. He got it from God. God's the one who has revealed this. And I believe that whether it's stated obviously like that or whether it's inferred in the case of the butler, it was God who reminded the butler at that moment because God was working providentially in this story. And God is working providentially in your story. God is working providentially in your life. 
And there are those who are doing wrong things and there are situations that are happening that are not good. But God is at work. See God's providence. Joseph will say in chapter 41, it's God that's going to bring the famine. Well, we don't like to think about God bringing the bad things. But do you know what God is doing as he brings this famine? Among many geopolitical things that were taking place with empires falling and others rising during this season in world events. God is working to get Jacob and his family out of Canaan into Egypt so that they will be preserved and will become a great nation. He reveals that to Jacob later. He says, don't be afraid, Jacob, to go down to Egypt with your son Joseph. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going with you, and I'm going to bless your descendants. And what happens 400 years later when God brings them out in the Exodus? They have gone from 70 people to, into the millions of people, two and a half million, some estimate. What has God done? God is at work not just in an individual's life, not just in one family's life and a few brothers. God is at work in a nation's life and ultimately in this world. That's the providence of God. <coughs> God blessed Joseph. God, Joseph says, God's the one who has blessed me in Egypt in chapter 41. He said, God has blessed me with these sons and he's caused me to forget my past. And then he says three times, do you see this? He repeats this over and over to his brothers. He wants to assure them that this was, you sold me, but don't be angry at yourselves that you sold me hither. God, verse 5, God did send me before you. Look in verse 7. So now it was not you that sent me hither. Verse, eight, verse 7, and God sent me before you. Verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Do you think he wants to emphasize a point? He wants them to understand, you did wrong, you made an action, you made a choice, and it was sinful. And whatever a person or someone has done to you, whatever event has taken place in your life, it may be a bad thing with ill intent by an evil person, but God can providentially use it for your good and for His glory. God sent me. It reminds me of what Peter says about Jesus. Do you remember what Peter says when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 3, he says, You by evil hands have taken and slain the just one. And then he says in that same passage that it was according to the divine foreknowledge of God. It was according to God's plan. They, of their own free will, made a wrong choice, made a sinful choice, of evil hands for wrong reasons. And he said, yeah, that was what God was doing. God help us to see what is happening in our life isn't all that's happening in our life. Our eyesight is limited to right around us, and we only have a short temporary line of view. We only see what's taking place. God sees far beyond what faith allows us to do, what faith allowed Joseph to do, was to say, short-term sight, fleshly sight, sees that you're the one that sold me. You did wrong. But faith sight sees even further. And Joseph's faith sees beyond just that moment. We'll see that in just a, a few minutes. The most obvious things in your life aren't all that's happening some of you are consumed with the obvious things that are taking place. Don't forget the things that are happening. 
behind the scenes. If you've ever been to a play, musical, you sit in the audience and you see just a few things taking place on the stage. You're watching that story. But what you don't see is what's taking place behind the curtain, what's taking place in the wings beside, what's taking place backstage. And there are pieces that are being moved and repositioned and curtains that are rising and falling. And all these things are taking place. And it's a part of the greater story. And there are many things in God's providence that are taking place that we don't see. And if we do see, we don't understand. And we don't see it how it relates to what we do see and know. But it's God providentially working. God, he said, is the one that sent me. Faith in God's providence sees the people and events that have hurt you as God's instruments to form you. Let me say that again. Faith in God's providence allows you to see the people and events that have hurt you as God's instruments to form you. Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, you did wrong, but God's the one that used you to get me down here into Egypt because of what he's doing. What will keep us from getting wrong when we're in a moment like that? What will allow us not to be bound by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? It is remembering the providence of God. Number two, Joseph is able to see by faith. Seeing by faith allows us to see God's power in our success. Joseph did not get the big head. Joseph didn't start patting himself on the back. Look how great I am. Man, I can interpret dreams. I can manage a country. Look how skilled I am. In chapter 41, when he's called before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? Joseph said, well, it's not in me to do it, but God will do it. He knew what was taking place. He knew that God was the one that was working. And because of that, Pharaoh recognizes in Joseph that it's God at work. What a testimony to those around us. When they see what's going on in our lives and they see us staying true to our integrity, they see us doing well, they see us making it through the greatest storms of our life. And they can say, only by the grace of God. That's the only way that person can do it. Only because the Spirit of God is in them. Pharaoh says, is there anybody else that we could find that has the Spirit of God in them? Why? Because he sees the power of God in his success. What's happening in your life isn't you. You know, there's an old saying, he that tooteth not his own horn shall forever remain in a perpetual state of untootedness. <laughs> Try saying that three times real fast. Actually, don't. You might say something you shouldn't say. If you don't toot your own horn, no one else will is what it means. We don't go around tooting our horn. We go around giving praise to God. If there is anything good in my life, if there is anything beneficial, if there is anything successful, it is not I that do it, but Christ who lives in me. Joseph recognized it was God's power that brought him to where he was. Lastly, see God's purpose in your steps. That's something very interesting we, we see God's faith allows us to see God's providence in our situation. God is at work, and we see his power in our success, but we see his purpose in how he's brought us to where we are. God is not just at work. God is doing something. 
Have you ever seen somebody that was just real busy? Especially if the boss was going to come around, they'd get real busy. What are you doing? Well, I'm just not really doing anything. I just want to look like I'm doing something. I used to have students in school that would look real busy when you got close to their, they weren't really doing anything. I'm not talking about that. When God's at work, God's got a purpose and God's doing something. Joseph's brothers missed this. If you look at this account and you read the places where Joseph's brothers refer to God, each time they'll say, God's getting us back for what we did. This is coming to us. God's punishing us. Even when they stand before Joseph, Judah says, our sins are being, God is bringing our sins back on us. Their view of God's work is not one of grace. It's one of pure justice and judgment. That's how they see what God is doing. Joseph has a better view. What does faith allow us to see? It allows us to see something far greater. I want you to see this. Look at this. Look in verse verse 6. Or back up to verse 5. God did send me before you to what? Preserve life. Verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives. How? By a great deliverance. Joseph, by faith, is seeing that what God is doing is not just about providing enough food for them to survive five more years. But he sees that God is going to bring them down to the land of Egypt and allow them to survive. And in the greenhouse of Egyptian slavery, they are going to grow into a powerful nation. A nation of people, 12 tribes of thousands of people. And he sees that that's what God is going to do. And he also believes by faith that they're not going to be in Egypt forever. In fact, in the great chapter of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, God says that by faith, Joseph, when he died, said, save my bones, because when you go back to Canaan, I want you to take them with you. Jacob, Joseph saw by faith that what God was going to do and the purpose God was doing was far more than just in the moment, but it was something that was far greater. And not only was it going to be a great deliverance when he took them out of Egypt and his bones were carried, and if you read the scriptures when they get ready to go, they take Joseph's bones with them. Why? Because he believed that that was the land where God would bless his people, that land of promise, that land that they owned, that he had promised to Abraham, and they were going to return, and that it was in that land that God was going to fulfill his promise of a Messiah, of the promised one, that the one who would bruise the serpent's head was going to be born. And he saw by faith that God's purpose was not limited just to his particular moment. It was eternal. It was a plan and a purpose that was going to accomplish far more than any one of them could imagine. And over here is Joseph's brothers just sitting there saying, this is what God's doing to us now because we've messed up. They saw justice. Joseph saw grace. Do you know that what's taking place in your life is not just for this moment, but the God of providence and the God of power is a God of purpose. And what he's doing in our lives, he has a purpose in the story of our lives. Our 
small individual stories fit into as a part the great overarching story of what God is doing in redemption. And so the things that happen to us, the bad things that happen to us, and the bad people that do things to us, they are the providential instruments of God informing us and shaping us and moving us to accomplish His far greater purpose. And that is what Joseph can see. Joseph says, look, it's not just about you taking some food back to feed the family. This is about something far greater. By faith, we can look at our lives and we can see that God is doing something that transcends the moment of our lives. That there are things that we are doing that have eternal significance and eternal value. Some of you are trying to raise godly children. Let me tell you that that has eternal significance and eternal value. Some of you are caring for loved ones and you're investing time and effort and everything you've got into caring for them. I want you to know that that has eternal value. Some of you are trying to be a witness on the job. Students, some of you are trying to be a witness to your friends, and you're trying to live for God. And we're facing all sorts of challenges, and some are going through heavy burdens, and some are grieving, and some are sorrowful, and some are are struggling with their families, and there's all these things. I want you to know that in our story, God is orchestrating just a few of the notes of His great symphony of grace that is taking place throughout the ages. So that in the ages to come, Ephesians 2 says, He might show forth the glory of His grace in those that believed. That's what God is doing. And Joseph was able to see that. God gives a little bit of the insight into this to Jacob when it comes time for Jacob to go down. He says, Jacob, don't fear to go to Egypt. It's interesting. This is the first time in years that we have recorded account of God appearing to Jacob. The last time that we know is in Genesis 35 when Jacob is told by God, Jacob, you've messed up. Go back to Bethel. Go back to where you got wrong. And now on his way down to Egypt, God appears to him and he says, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down with Joseph. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bring you again out of this. What is that? The purpose of God. It's the purpose. This morning... In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Here's what I want to ask you please to do at this moment. Unless you just absolutely have to, please don't get up and go out. Because this is a moment when I want to, I believe God will speak to our hearts from what we've heard from his word. And I don't want you to be distracted, and I don't want you to distract someone else that God may be speaking to. But this morning, are you looking at your life through the eyes of faith? Are you seeing people? Are you seeing events? Are you trusting? Do you see God at work? Maybe this morning you need to come and kneel at this altar and you need to say, God, I want to trust you in this moment. I want to trust you in what this person did. I want to trust you in what's been said. I want to trust you in how this person has betrayed me, how this person has forgotten me, how this person has hurt me. I want to trust you in this situation that I didn't seek out and it didn't happen. I don't understand, but I want to trust you in it. Will you look at your life through the eyes of faith? Will you see the good that God is doing, not just for you, but for others? Will you trust for that? What about those who have failed? There may be somebody here this morning that says, Pastor, when it comes to integrity, I've failed, I've messed up, and I've messed up many times. What do I do? Well, it's very simple. 
you confess it, you make it right as best you can, and you move forward. In fact, a few years later, Joseph's brothers come to him after this event, and they say, um, Dad, before he died, said for you not to be mad at us when he died, not to hurt us. Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Joseph moved forward. Maybe this morning you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. This truth is not just about Joseph as a model. This is about Joseph pointing us to Christ. Jesus did not just come to model how for us to maintain our integrity. Jesus did not just come just to show us how to be forgiving. Jesus came to forgive us and to enable us, empower us by His Spirit to walk right and to be right and to do right and to have spiritual, godly integrity. Maybe this morning you need to come and get in the altar and say, God, I can't do this. I'm struggling with temptation. I'm struggling with the trials. I'm struggling when times go well. Lord, I'm struggling at all times. Without you, without you, I need you. Let me tell you how God will answer that prayer. He'll give you the grace you need. He'll give you the strength you need. He will be your strength. Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts. In this moment of invitation, I pray that we will listen And Lord, for each situation, each need, where every person is, Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who can't see what you're doing in their life. I pray they'll have faith to trust you. And Lord, one day may they be able to look back and sing with the old song, Jesus led me all the way. Father, I pray that you will help us to be obedient to your spirit this morning as he speaks to us.